good that I get to share again. Um, but really quickly, I just want to be obedient to what um, I think the Holy Spirit has has said, shared with me this morning. Um, two things I had, um, I think I have two words of knowledge that I want to throw out there. Um, and if it's you, we'll pray now and we'll have ministry team at the end. You can pray then too. Does anybody here have something going on with their throat? Any pain, discomfort? Okay. All right. And then um, on, in your head on the left side, a headache or have headaches on the left side right here? No? Okay, good. You, Landon. Okay, well, the left side, okay. Um, well, Lord, we just bless Landon, and we just release your presence over him right now, and we just call his body heal and hold that any um, trauma that's left over from his past injury will leave now, and we just plead the blood of Jesus over him for new cells and DNA and matter to be um, formed and all the scar tissue to dissolve, and we speak to pain, and we just command it to leave right now. We thank you for what you're doing in his body, and we thank you for the testimony that um, he'll have. Um, and then I have a prophetic word. Is it okay if I give it to somebody? For you in the pink. What's your name? Hannah. Hannah. Um, I actually felt this a couple of weeks ago. Um, and then when I saw you again today, the Lord brought it back up in my spirit. Um, and so I just had a sense that um, the Lord has given you his heart of hospitality, that you're somebody that... Um, carries him in such a way that you invite people in, that you're really easy um, for people to, to get to know, and you're very welcoming and accepting of people, and I think it's something that the Lord's graced you um, in. Uh, I also saw you on the mission field, um, but I'm not sure where, but it was definitely another country, and you carried that in such a way that the, the people were very drawn to you and to hear um, the gospel message from you. So, all right, you're welcome. Okay, so um, last week I tried to draw, which was a funny attempt to kind of explain everything. Well, this week when Todd asked me to share, um, I didn't want to share the exact same thing, so I made a PowerPoint just to keep me on target for a recap because I know there's going to be people here who weren't here last week and just wanted to make sure everybody was on the same page. Um, and I was joking with Abby this morning and said I only know how to do PowerPoint because my third graders had to do them this year in school. So... Um, so the first part is just going to be the recap, and there's a couple of other slides, and I don't know if we'll get to them, like that's not kind of my gifting to flow with it, so if it doesn't, just ignore it. So um, real fast, I wanted to ask, has anybody had a chance this week to go back and look up Caroline Leaf? Raise your hand. Yeah, some of you. And um, how many of you have at least been more aware of your thoughts this week? So that... That's good. That's huge, just to be aware of what you're allowing in. Um, and were you able to stop? If you had toxic thoughts, were you able to stop them? Okay, that's what this is all about, being able to stop them and to change your focus to God's Word. So um, I didn't have her degree, right, last week, so I wrote it down, and it says a cognitive neuroscience with a Ph.D. in communication pathology specializing in neuropsychology. And I know that she has, um, she has a doctorate in um, the communication pathology, but she's actually working on now getting um, 
a doctorate in theology on this. So, yeah, it's pretty impressive. Okay. So this is just the recap. We are a triune being. We're spirit, soul, and body. And in your spirit, man, it's where you have the communion with God, which is your highest form of existence, is to commune with God and to worship him. You have your conscious, which is um, where you know right from wrong, where the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And into, well, intuitions where the Holy Spirit speaks to you, okay? Your soul is your intellect, your will, and your emotions. So this is where you do your thinking and your feeling and your choosing for action. Your body is also made up of three parts, the exoderm, your endoderm, and your mesoderm, which just basically those three things are um, in utero, and then they break out and make every part of your physical body. Next slide. So um, we talked about once you get born again, that your spirit man is regenerated, and it has a direct connection with the Holy Spirit. And in God's perfect plan, we are directly connected with the Holy Spirit through our spirit. And then our spirit is in charge of our soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions. And your soul is over your body. So your body is going to follow where your mind is and what you're thinking about. And so your soul is actually has a one foot in the spirit realm and one foot in the physical realm. Okay, So it, everything gets funneled through your spirit. All right, so um, what Caroline Leaf teaches is also what the Bible teaches. And so she believes that your brain is what houses your mind. So if you have a brain outside of your body, it does absolutely nothing. And that she, her theory, which is also in line with the Bible, is that your mind and your thought life actually create change in your brain. And it creates um, the way your brain is made up. Now, um, there, I just want to touch base on this in case you ever hear something. Um, there are some other scientists, and they're, they're usually the non-believers, who think that your brain is set and your brain controls your mind. But that would not be, that would not be, agree with Scripture. And the research shows that this action takes place and then change in your brain happens because they've got um, different devices and stuff where they can um, record and actually see this. So your brain is made up of two parts, your subconscious and your conscious. Your subconscious controls 99% of who you are. It is active 100% of the time. It processes 400 billion actions per, sec per second, which is at a quantum speed which I said last week was fast, faster than the speed of light. Okay. Your conscious is active only when you're awake, and you can only be aware of four to seven thoughts at a time. Okay. Um, I shared last week that we were wired for love and that um, we have to learn fear. So in your mind, you have a choice to agree with God's word and to agree with the love in your thinking, or you step over into a fear zone where it's the toxic thinking, and you start feeling panicky, you start getting fearful, you start getting anxiety, you start feeling bad, you start getting anxious. That is not how God's made us. God's made us with a love, power, and a sound mind. Yeah. And so up the trees there, um, 
When you have thoughts, they're described as arbor-like, and so they look like trees. So when you have a healthy thought, they've actually taken pictures of these. It looks like a tree with a root system with these healthy branches and leaves. When you have toxic thinking, it looks like a tree with a root system, but it's got little hooks in it like thorns. So they have actually have pictures of strongholds. So the main thing that you've got, if you weren't here last week, that that you need to know about this is that your thoughts are living things that take up mental real estate. So when you have a thought, what happens is, is it signals your brain to make certain chemicals and it creates DNA in your brain and it creates these pictures of trees in your brain, okay? And when you have a toxic thought, it does the same thing. It creates DNA to latch onto that thought and it looks like a dead tree, okay? All right. So to change your brain, you change your brain by your thoughts, which in turn will change your body, will change everything, okay? So Romans 12, 2, and this is from the Passion Translation, it says, stop imitating the ideals and the opinions of the culture around you, but inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. So one of the things that I think is um, really cool about what I've been studying here in Leaf is I feel like we now have a better, at least I now have a better understanding of faith. Who has ever looked at uh, Hebrews 1.11 and was like, what does that even mean? Anybody? Just me? Like the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. What does that even mean? And I have meditated on it. And I just had to let it go. But now I feel like I can understand that um, better because if faith is the substance of things hoped for, where are you hoping? In your mind, in your heart, in your mind. You're, you're hoping for things. So when you hope for something, positive or negative, there's a brain action that happens, right? If you're hoping for something, what do you do? Y'all are getting ready to go on vacation. What are y'all doing? What, what have you been doing? thinking about where you're going to go, eating, what you're going to eat, who you're going to see. Right, so you're, you're, but you're thinking. So you've got, you're building these, these thoughts. You're building this hope into what hasn't happened yet, right? So this can be true for anything. Well, then you can get on the negative side of it that if you have to go to the doctor for some reason, well, what are, you, what are you thinking about with the doctor? What's he going to say? What's it going to show? And you can start getting into fear and anxiety. And, and it doesn't change the fact that you're going to go to the doctor. But what changes is how you know that God has you. You've got to have scripture. Do you, do you know why positive thinking isn't enough? Jesus said his words are spirit and life. So when you have God's word and that's what you're building into your brain, that is spirit and life. It's just not positive thinking. Positive thinking can help to some degree, but wouldn't you rather have spirit and life? So start taking God's word into account, and I'm going to get into that more probably. Okay, so faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. As you 
I encourage you just to go and look her up, and as you're hearing her teach, think about that. Like, just think about that this is, you're putting things into your brain that's creating, bringing things into existence. Um, James 1, I think it's 21, says the implanted word will save your soul. The whole thing says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Why? If it's implanted, if you've got... Last week I talked about the subconscious where you've been forming um, memories and thoughts since you were in the womb. So they're, they're in your subconscious. And what happens is as you walk through life and things happen, it gets, create, it gets into your subconscious, and your subconscious controls 99% of who you are. So your state of mind, your attitude, your perspective, your perception is all from your subconscious. So if you have an area that you have to change, the implanted word, putting God's word in there, meditating on it, is going to get into your subconscious so it will begin to override and you will become who you were designed to be by God. So as I read scripture now, it's completely different for me. As I'm reading scripture with this new knowledge, I mean, I, you can't get away from how God tells you to think and what he tells you to meditate on. Completely changes everything. Like it makes it, well, at least for me, it just makes it more real. I mean, I even hate to say that because we can know, we know scripture, we memorize it, we can implement it. But once I realized that as I was putting it into my mind, that it changes the outcomes of things. Like science has proved faith. Like it's just, it's really cool for me. So that was basically what I taught last week. So what I had thought about sharing today was actually the practical application of this. Um, it takes 21 days for you to deconstruct a toxic thought and to build a healthy thought. So once you've built it, you've destroyed the toxic, you've built the healthy, it takes another two 21-day cycles to get into your subconscious. But it only takes seven minutes a day. Who's got seven minutes that you can do this? Okay. So the very first thing, and this is all Caroline Leaf, she talks about something called practicing God's presence. And that you thank him, you praise him, and you worship him. And so she talks about doing this before you start your seven minutes of changing your thinking. But she also talks a lot about doing that at every moment. Something happens, and um, it causes you to shift into the wrong thinking of fear. That if you just stop, and you begin to start thanking God for who, for who he is and what he's doing, specific to that fear that you feel, like... Um, Got a phone call, somebody is, has been in a car accident. You know they're okay, but they've been in an accident, and you can start imagining all these things that might happen. Well, if you stop that process and you begin to thank God for being with that person while they were in the accident, and you thank God that he knows exactly what's going on, and you thank God that he um, was with them and has a plan for their life, and then you begin to praise him because he is always present, and he is a protector, and that he does send angels, and then you just worship him. Now, the first two is about the situation, but the worship is where you just focus on God, where it's just about him. He is holy, he is love, he is worthy, and you just focus on him. 
And then that makes a practical step to how to get out of fear and into this love zone or the faith zone. So she recommends doing that, the beginning of um, this renewing your mind process. Now, I just want to reiterate here that this isn't, you need to be working with the Holy Spirit. So you're going to ask the Holy Spirit, what toxic thought pattern or what lie am I going to work on for the next 21 days? And as the Lord reveals it, then you begin to thank him, to praise him, and to worship him specifically for this problem, this way of thinking. Okay, and then you have the gather phase, which is the very first phase of the process. And this is where you're just gathering your thoughts. Each one of these will only take about two minutes. So you just become more aware of what you're thinking. There's two ways that thoughts come into your consciousness. It's either through your senses, what you're feeling, what you're smelling, what you're hearing. You're getting that information. And then your subconscious will begin to bubble up things. So out of the four to seven thoughts that are coming into your conscious mind, two to three will be toxic, okay? So in the gathering phase, that's what you're doing. You're just kind of gathering your thoughts, becoming aware of them. The next step is called focused reflection. This is deep, intellectual, disciplined thinking with attention regulation, thinking, body awareness, emotion, and regulation of sense and your sense of self. So there's something to be said about thinking deeply. And as I've been more aware of this, it may I have a desire to not watch TV and not let my kids play video games, like to some degree, because you need time to sit and think. You need time, even besides this, you need time to sit and think and to be able to process and commune with God about what's going on. Because as you just sit and be still and know that he's God, he's going to start talking to you about your life. And I've done it. I've been more purposeful in doing this, and I'm amazed at how much he has to say. I mean, just cutting out the distraction. Because this summer, I've got three sons, and this summer we're at home. All of us are home together. And so there's not a lot of time where I can, like, go by myself. I do, but you, just being more aware of, of cutting off even worship music and just being still and thinking and allow God to speak to me through my thoughts. So um, at this point of the focus reflection, you've gathered your thoughts. You've got your toxic thought. You're going to zero on the one that has to do with the one that you're, the toxic issues you're working on. Okay. You're going to take that thought captive, which means you're going to be looking at it. See, and I'm, I may get into this later, but in case not, I'm going to mention it now. God's created your frontal lobe, which is right here, in such a way that you can actually observe yourself. So you can actually sit here and observe yourself and, and thinking. You can stand outside of yourself to observe you. You're not just feeling it, but you're aware of, of what it is that's going through your mind. You're aware of where your body is. So you're going to take the thought captive, and this is where the thought can be changed because as you're aware and you bring this thought into your awareness, it can change. So anytime there's a thought that comes to your conscious mind, you have the ability to change it. And if you don't change it, it goes back even more concrete than it was before. 
So when you take a thought captive, and if it's toxic, you need to have God's word to counter it, or it's going to get buried back deeper. Okay, so this is where you are aware of the thoughts, you're taking it captive, you're looking at it, and you're going to start changing it. You're reflecting on it. This is where you're going to use, you can use your imagination or visualization. And they've proven that when you visualize stuff, no matter what it is, that the change in your brain is the exact same change that it is if you were physically doing it. So that change in your brain can happen just with imagining it. So you want to take this time, and we're not going to focus on the toxic thought. You're replacing it with the truth of God. So you're going to start meditating on what God says. So how important is it to know God's word? Very, very important. So you're going to start taking God's word, and you're going to start applying it to that toxic thought to go, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. What it, like if your toxic thought has something to do with being good or being good enough, then instead of focusing on what a wretch you are and how many times you've messed up, you're going to go, no, I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. I'm made in the image of God. He's created me, and his thoughts about me outnumber the grains of sand. And you're going to start thinking about who you are, who God says you are. So does it do people any good when they sit here and they waller in their sin and how they've messed up? And you go, oh, my gosh, I have messed up again. I have yelled at my children again. I have fed them junk food all day. I've let them play video. I mean, is that helping me? I'm a horrible, horrible mother for this. Is that helping me? What is that, what is that doing? That is reinforcing it. It's getting in. It's got this belief system of I'm a bad mother, and it's re- confirming it, and then it gets back into my subconscious again. And your subconscious controls how much of who you are? 99% of who you are. So am I going to start being a good mother because I'm thinking about being a bad mother? Or am I going to be a bad mother because I'm thinking about how bad I am? So you've got to know who God says you are. If God says you are good, then you are good. And if anything else says that anything less than that, it's a lie. Bill Johnson says that he can't afford to have a thought in his mind that God is not thinking about him. So when you're struggling and you're having difficulty with something, what does God say? What does God say? And that's where you meditate. And that's what's truth. Your Caroline Leaf says, God designed you perfect, and if you're not who, you are only the choices that you've made, but it's not who you are. Because if you've wired in bad stuff, you can wire it out. Like, that's what's so good. She, she says that your brain changes minute by minute. So let's say you've spent an hour in a bad place because you've forgotten this teaching and you've spent an hour just negative, and then you go after an hour, oh my gosh, I'm not supposed to be doing this, and you step back over into the love zone, your brain immediately recognizes the change and starts changing. Um, And so what happens is is you have this thought, and so then it goes through all these different layers of the brain, and each one of these things are responsible for producing something. And so the hypothalamus is responsible for creating... um, the hormones that are triggered by emotions. and it, So you have a thought, and each thought actually has an emotional component to it. So that's why when you 
think of something, it can bring back an emotion, whether it's good or bad, right? Everybody's experienced that, right? Or you can smell something, and it takes you to a memory that also has an emotion, right? And so uh, what, happens is, the, the, what happens is is that the hypothalamus will then start secreting um, hormones to make your body respond to that feeling, that emotion that you're feeling. And so that's what brings you into a stress state. But when you take it and you start applying God's word, they have proven that as you're deconstructing the toxic thought, you can actually separate the emotion from the memory which is why the inner healing works. If you go through the inner healing and they go to the very bad memory of when you dropped your ice cream and the kids laughed at you when you were four, I mean, it's usually something really simple like that. And you invite Jesus into the memory and you see Jesus come and tell you it's going to be okay. What that is doing is it's taking the emotion away from the memory. You're building a new memory of that situation. So, um, you're, you have a brain, right, that controls all the functions of your body with many, many other things that we've learned about. And then you have your heart, but your heart has almost, this isn't the, the right kind of science words, but it's basically your heart has its own brain, and so does your gut. So you have your brain that controls everything, but then your heart, like how many people have ever knew something in their heart? Like they, like it really was, it was this intuitive, you know something in your heart, and you trust your heart, right? But how many of you have let your brain talk you out of what your heart's feeling? Okay. So your heart is connected to every single cell in your body. Why? Because it's got to get blood there, right? So your heart is connected to every single cell of the body, and your thoughts impact your heart. Your heart is in constant communication with your brain and the rest of your body, and your heart has its own brain. And when you listen to your heart, it will secrete in something that's called the A-N-F, and I can't pronounce any of the words except for factor, which is the F. But it will secrete this something, and it helps to regulate blood pressure, and it helps you to maintain a feeling of peace. So when you're listening to your heart, it's actually a good thing. That intuition, that heart, that gut feeling, there's, it's actually a good thing to do, to not sit there and to talk yourself out of it, because your, your heart is, is intuitive, so it kind of knows without having the subconscious telling it what to do where your brain is having the subconscious, the things that you've wired in, your perceptions, your attitude is kind of where, you're, um, where your brain is directing you to go. So I say all that just to say following your heart's a good thing. So all this is a part of the focused reflection. It's where you're they taking the memory, you are looking at the memory, you're putting God's word to it. You Two minutes, okay? It's not an inner healing session. It's not a time, you know, if you have some major things where it's a really bad memory and you want to invite Jesus in, do that, but this isn't, that would be like extra. This is just two minutes of looking at it, okay? Then after you have your focused reflection, you're going to write, because when you write, it takes every part of your brain to write. Writing is one of the, mo one of the most hardest things for a person to, to learn, because it has so many things going on with writing. 
you've got to make sure your paper's right, and you're like forming your letters, and you're forming your sentences, and you're writing, and you're thinking. So it's going to take all of your brain to write it down. So you're going to write down what you've just done in the, in the focused reflection. Again, this is two minutes, two to three minutes. And you can be creative. You don't have to write in words. You can draw a picture. You can draw little branches. I know with mine, I had like drew my, the root of my toxic thought and then drew like spokes out of it. Now, what my toxic thought, it was my new thought I was replacing and then drew spokes out of it and wrote different things. So to be creative, it doesn't just have to be words. Again, that's two to three minutes. So you have your gathering step, focused reflection, writing, and then you revisit. The revisit, you are you're going to reread what you write, and you're going to decide how to make change happen. You're going to begin to rewire what you want, what changes you want. You evaluate what's written, and you work out what your new healthy thought is going to be, and you visualize it. Two minutes. I recommend using the Word of God, but be Spirit-led. The Spirit might have you do something else. Okay, and the last part of this is the act of reach, which is your action. So you have your gather, focus, reflection, write, revisit, and active reach. Your active reach is what you visualized you doing, you then do at least seven times that day. So if it's quoting scripture, you struggle with fear, and you say your verse is no weapon formed against me shall prosper, then you're going to say that out loud seven times a day. Or the Lord might have you do an action. He had me do an action, which was really kind of embarrassing one time because I was supposed to twirl. And I twirled, like, in public, which was maybe a little freeing, but kind of not. But anyway, <laughs> I did have to twirl one time. Uh, and so, and we were at the beach, so we were in public a lot. Um, but when you have kids, it's a good excuse. People just think, oh, she's being a mother. What a good mother. She's twirling with the kids. And they went in and off. Um, so your active reach is something you're going to do seven times a day. You do this for 21 days. You focus on that one toxic thought for 21 days. Day one and day two, because you're excited and you're doing something new and your brain is secreting all these feel-good hormones and they're keeping you excited because let's just, let me, let me just say, who's ever started an exercise program and you were good for two days? <laughs> what happens on three and four? Mm, I don't really want to go to the gym. I want to stay in the bed. I look good. I don't really have to do this because... On day three and four, your brain stops excreting the feel-good hormones. So you have to make a conscious choice to continue. Most people stop new habits on day three and four. This or anything else, three, three and four is the hard one because those, those hormones start leveling out and they're not prompting you to do it anymore and you have to choose to do it. So know that. For this, anything else, you're going to start eating better. Day three and four is going to be hard. But if you can get through it, it'll, it'll be easier. So is this helpful for how to renew your mind? This actually gives you practical application and how to renew your mind. If nothing else, if you choose not to do this, if nothing else, just become more aware of your thinking. Your thinking and choosing are powerful, right? We are created in God's image, and he gave us 
this ability to think and to choose. That's why he said, I lay before you today, life, death, blessing, and cursing. Choose life. What I thought was interesting is, as I was thinking about this, that's exactly what Eve did. Like when she was tempted in the garden, and the serpent came up to her and said, has God said that you could eat of every tree of the garden? Or you couldn't eat of every tree? And I found this interesting. This is just kind of a side note. When I went back through and read this, she said that we can eat of any tree of the garden except for the tree that's in the middle of the garden. There were two trees in the middle of the garden. It was the tree of knowledge, good and evil, and the tree of life. So she didn't even know it by name. She went, it was just the tree in the middle. We can't even look at it, touch it. But then the Bible says she saw that the tree was pleasant to her eye, that it was good for food, and that it would make her wise. What was she doing? She was thinking about it. She was thinking, oh, and then she, what? She chose. She thought, and then she chose. And then everything that's transpired since. But you know what's really good about that? Is God already knew that. Like, people have, I'm going over here. Uh, people have a hard time going, like I, I had, I might have mentioned this last week. I had my son going, why? Why did God do this? If he could do everything and control everything, then why did he do this? And it was because he already knew. Jesus was slain when? Before the foundation. Before the foundation of the world. And, and is science, like, proven that that type of stuff is possible? Yes. It's called quantum physics. It, everything, okay, let me back up. So Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. He, God knew Jesus was going to come and die before Eve ever thought and chose. He, knew, he already knew, which brings me to... Um, Something else I think I'm going to share. So I asked last week if people were familiar with quantum physics, and some people mainly decide, raise their hand, quantum physics. So I just want to share a little bit about quantum physics because it is um, the neurology and the things of the brain, and quantum physics is very interesting. And it's um, got this God factor that is so obvious if you know your, your Bible, which brings me to another point. You've got to know God's Word. You've got to know God's Word not only so you can get it into your mind and you can make right choices. You have to know God's Word because that is your worldview and it is going to be the scope that you judge everything else. So you've got the media that comes out. You've got scientists who don't believe that come out and tell you about these. these. There's a gene for that. That's not true. There is not a gene that will make you sin. Are y'all okay with me repeating from last week? I think it's okay. Because there's not a gene that makes you sin. Now, there is a predisposition. They have proven that your thought life can affect up to three to four generations. Your thought life can affect three to four generations. Does that mean that you are responsible or destined to repeat in your family's footsteps? No. What it does mean is that, I, I talked about this last week, that there, I know I've got to quit saying that, sorry. There is um, your genome 
people, you know, that's the, the thing. They're looking at DNA, and they're trying to find genes for everything, and they're explaining everything through the gene. But in your genome, only 3% is bad. The rest of it they actually thought was garbage until they had more technology to go in and just look at the other 97% of it, and they, they could tell that it wasn't garbage. It was actually there, and it was good, and it helped to fix the 3% that was bad. So in your thought life, so you do have um, your DNA, and you have 3% that has possible can be bad, which probably is the three and four generations of your ancestor's sin is in there, and it's locked in there. But your thinking is what unlocks it. So if you begin to think, let's say you have cancer in your family, and when you start believing what you're hearing the media say and science says about you're, you're at high risk of cancer because all these other people had cancer in your family, it's not true unless you believe it. Once you believe, oh, I'm at a high risk of cancer, your brain does what your mind says, so it goes and locates those genes and activates them. 75 to 95, somewhere in here, 75 to 95% of behavioral, mental, and health issues start in your mind. But guess what? There's hope. Because remember what I said earlier, as soon as you change your thinking, you start beginning to agree with God's word, your DNA will change back to the good. So just start where you are. You, you start where you are, and you just start walking it out from here. And I heard, um, heard uh, his name's Mark Verkler say, um, he's talking about faith, that what if you're believing for something and you never see it happen? He said, you die in faith, and you get to be in Hebrews 11. Because none of those people got to see theirs either. You die in faith. Come, stand before God. You've died in faith. That's better than going, you didn't believe God when you're standing before him. Right? Okay. I'm about in five different places at one time. Um, so the worldview, let me get back to that. It's important to know God's word because you're going to be hearing studies and you're going to, if you're in school, you're going to hear everything. You could hear this exact same information but with a different slant and make you doubt God. When if you have the right slant and you have God's word to where the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you as you hear it, you're going to stay in faith and you're going to be able to have conversations with people about, well, no, I think this proves God right? It's important to know God's word because the enemy is out to steal your seed. <laughs> God's word that's being implanted in your heart. And I encourage y'all to go back and look at that parable. I was going to read it, but I'm not now. Go back and look at the parable of the seed and the sower with this information in mind. It makes it come alive. Okay. So there's something called... Um, Epigenetics. Epi means over and above. So epigenetics means that it's over and above your genetic makeup. It is signals that will control the gene. And there's two ways for these signals that um, they did a test with these certain type of rats, and they were 
all yellow and overweight and had type 2 diabetes. And every time they bred these rats, these things were prevalent. Every time they got the same thing. Well, then they changed one thing about the rat's diet. And I can't remember now, it's like a B vitamin. They changed one thing about the rat's diet, and the next offspring didn't have any of those qualities because that, that signal blocked that gene from expressing. So they found it's true with food, and they found it's true with thoughts. You can block the signal that expressed genes, you can block certain bad genes from expressing. I mean, that's good, right? So genes may give you a predisposition, but it's not an actuality. So you cannot blame any sin on your genes. And you can't blame anything else on your genes. Like, you know, people just go, oh, well, they've got good genes. They're just natural at it. Well, no, they have thought and they have chosen <laughs> to, to do this, whether it was good or bad. That's why you can have identical, gene, identical twins with the same genome. And because of their life experiences and the way they choose to think about them, they've got completely different perspectives and completely different outcomes in their life. Okay. So I'm, now I'm going to talk about quantum physics for a minute. So there's some, and I'm not an expert on this, I just have been looking at it for a few years, and, like, it's really exciting to look at. So... If you know more, I'm sure there's some of you might know more than me. Give me grace. Classical physics just explains what's here in the natural world. Law of gravity and some other things I don't know because I didn't never look at classical physics. But like how everything works, and they have explained how everything works in the natural world. Well, this was probably developed about 100 years ago, and the scientists, let me say this, the scientists, even 100 years ago, and and a little earlier, all believed in God. Now, they may not have believed in Jesus, but they believed in there was this higher power. And so they would go and they would search out these things, and they ended up proving God. Don't believe the lie that scientists, all scientists don't believe God. That is wrong. There are lots of scientists who believe in God, and they'll say, if you are looking for him, you're going to find it. If you're looking for God as you're studying something, you're going to find him because God reveals himself. But if you're not looking for him, he's going to stay hidden. So they might find the same thing, but their perspective and their knowledge of God's word is going to, it's going to be filtered. The information is going to be filtered through that. So about 100 years ago, when quantum physics was first being talked about, they had no way of proving any of it, but they were calling it the God factor. And other scientists said, this ain't real. They joked about it, and they, they didn't think it was um, relevant or credible. Well, now we have tools that actually will come in and say, yes, this is real. So I'm going to give you some of this stuff about um, quantum physics. One of the laws of quantum physics says there must be an observer. So for anything to happen, somebody has to observe it. So is there a trash can behind this building? Nobody's observing it. There's got to be an observer, okay? Which is why that whole question, if tree falls in the wood, does anybody hear it? That's where this comes from, is a quantum physics thing. So you have to have an observer, which I personally think proved that there's a God. Because for this to be here, it has to be an observer. There's somebody observing it. But we know he's much more than observing it, right? He is at work in the human life, okay? 
So that's how we can, our frontal lobes are made, so we can observe ourselves. We can observe ourselves and choose and to make um, changes in our thoughts. Another thing about quantum physics is, um, you know, we had the atom, and the atom has gotten, we thought that was the smallest part. I think in high school I was taught that 20 years ago, plus two. Um, <laughs> that the atom was the smallest part, and so now they've gone that they're subatomic particles, and it goes all the way down to these little packets of energy. Quantum means energy. There's these little packets of energy that is at the, the bottom of every atom of everything. So they found little packets of energy in everything. Everything physical. Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, talking about Jesus the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or power. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Does that change how you see that? In him... All things consist. Another place in the Bible it talks about how everything is, is held together by the power of his word. It's quantum, right? So these little packets of energy can either be a wave or a particle based on what the observer intent is for it. So what you're expecting will, will actually affect what, how it behaves, whether it's a light wave, like a wave, or a particle. My intention of what I think it should be creates that. And these little particles can be nowhere and everywhere at the same time. Yeah. Everywhere and nowhere at the same time. So they basically say if there's no observer, they're everywhere and nowhere at the same time. Which I think goes with we're seated here and there. We're here and seated in heaven. We are in two places at once. Like really, we are. It's not just a poetic thing. We are in two places at one time. And wherever we direct our attention is what we're going to be observing. So are we on earth and we're going to be observing what's happening in Dallas or in politics or every, you know, anywhere, Russia? Or are we going to be in heaven observing what's in heaven? Because what's our mandate? To bring what we see in heaven to earth. We're in both places. Then there's a law of entanglement. Basically, the law of entanglement says we all, we all affect everything and everyone around us. We are connected, and we transfer information that's faster than light. So we are all entangled together. Anybody think of a verse? We are all one spirit. Those who's joined to the Lord with the spirit is one spirit. Lord, we are one body. We are all entangled. So when I am 
mad at somebody that cuts me off in traffic or whatever, you get mad and you say something, you can affect them. Not only just affect like their spirit or like their attitude, they've proven that you can affect their DNA. Your words. But that's the negative side. What about the positive side? We're all entangled with each other. So when you pray for somebody, connect. Connect with them. Like, be involved in the process of praying for them. Now, God is great, and he's good, and if you don't connect and you just throw out this prayer, God can still act because he's God. But think about if we could unite and we begin to pray for somebody and we're connecting, we're one in one spirit, and we're saying what heaven's saying, and we pray for them. That's a powerful thing. So with quantum physics and thinking, and I've tried this a few, a few times consciously and was so amazed that it worked. Like you have all kinds of possibilities, probabilities of things that would happen. Like you get information and now you're thinking about it. Well, there's we could, what do you want to eat for dinner? Well, there's all kinds of possibilities of what you can have for dinner, right? There's the, let's order pizza, let's make steak on the grill, let's eat hot dogs, let's have a salad, let's roast vegetables, let's have baked chicken. Like, you have all these possibilities, but then you have to choose. There's free will, you choose it, and what that does is it collapses that probability into an actuality. So you just choose it. So if you don't want to eat the chocolate cake, but you're sitting here going, man, I sure would like chocolate. I'm kind of hungry. Can y'all tell? I think I keep talking about food. Um, I don't want to eat the chocolate cake, but, oh, man, it would be so good. And you just keep thinking about how great the chocolate cake is. You're going to eat it. But once you go, I'm not going to eat it, you've collapsed all other possibility. Like, there's power, power in our thinking. And with all, before you make that choice, before you use your free will and you make a choice, you've got your personality, your thoughts involved, you've got the Holy Spirit involved, and then you've got the voice of the accuser involved. And you get to choose which one. You really get to choose which one you listen to. And I understand the struggle of being in a situation where you go, I don't have a choice. Because it's so ingrained in your brain to think a certain way that you go, I don't have a choice. I was there this week. I'm not doing this perfectly. I was there this week where I had a choice either to agree with the enemy or agree with God. And I'm going to tell you it was hard to agree with God because there was such a stronghold in my thinking that it was familiar for me to agree and to sit in fear and to think and use my imagination for all of these vain imaginations and all of these possibilities that could be. And it was hard because it was so strong. And I had to choose. And I would choose to agree with God. And then I would start thinking about something else or something else would trigger it. And I would get back over here. And so I kind of was doing this for a little while. Right? But praise God it worked out. <laughs> I have a good husband. My husband handled it. Hallelujah. Um, 
But just to say, I don't want to negate that it's not going to, that some things aren't hard. There's strong, strongholds in our thinking, and it can take you to everything that's familiar. Like it made me start thinking about familiar spirits. What does that really mean? It's just things that you've constantly agreed with over and over and over. It's just natural. It's the subconscious part that is determining everything that you're doing. And it makes you think that you have no control, but you have the control. You have the power to come over here and agree with God. So, um, so Satan will try to tempt you to choose death, but you can choose life. It only becomes powerful if you believe it. And you collapse that lie into your choice, into the actuality. And that's, in a nutshell, what I know about quantum physics. And I just encourage you to use this brain knowledge and this quantum physics knowledge and go home today and just read the Bible somewhere. Doesn't matter where, just read it and see if it doesn't seem different. Because God is constantly releasing revelation. Just when science thinks that they've figured it out, and that it's definite, we've discovered DNA, their free choice is not an option, you are your genes, then a few years later, God releases more information and science has to go, oh, we didn't know what we were talking about. That, that's how it constantly is. We think we figured it out, God releases new information. Think we figured that out? God releases new information. So as you're listening to what the world says, what does God say? And how can you filter it through God? Because if you're looking for him, you're going to find him. So I want to close um, with Proverbs, Proverbs 4, verse 20. And as we read this, I just want you to put it within what we've talked about today. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my saying. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Put away from you deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left and remove your foot from evil. I personally think that's explaining this process that you're given attention to God's word. doesn't change the facts, but it will change how you walk it out.